This version of the tale made its literary appearance in Tales of Mother Goose, published in 1697 by Charles Perrault. The story is essentially about a trickster cat who deceives and flatters to climb social ranks. Charles Perrault did not invent any of the stories in Mother Goose. However, as a leading intellectual in France, he gave them legitimacy, and his influence is prominent in the Grimm's collections. While this is not the first trickster cat version, it is arguably the most popular. This story falls under the shrewd cat trope, which is almost universal amongst fairy tales, although the animal is sometimes a fox or even a monkey in other countries. Also, in nearly every tale featuring three sons, the youngest and often stupidest is singled out for good fortune. Many literary geniuses and historians have expressed shock at any parent reading this tale to a child, including Charles Dickens. According to famed fairy tale expert Jack Zipes, Puss is, quote, the epitome of the educated bourgeois secretary who serves his master with complete devotion and diligence. In fact, there is no profanity too great in any form to stop Puss from attempting to climb the social ladder. This story is filled with his trickery, threats, false flattery, theft, and deception. I hope you enjoy it. This is Puss in Boots, or The Master Cat, by Charles Perrault. A miller left his three sons with all his worldly possessions which amounted to nothing more than his mill, his ass, and his cat. The division was made quickly. Neither notary nor attorney was summoned or requested, for they would have charged too much and consumed all of the meager patrimony. The eldest received the mill. The second son, the ass, the youngest son, got just the cat, and, naturally, he was upset at inheriting such a poor portion. My brothers can now earn an honest living as partners, he said. But as for me, I'll surely die of hunger once I have eaten my cat and made a muff of his skin. The cat, who had heard these words, but pretended not to have been listening, said to him with a sober and serious air, Don't trouble yourself, master. All you have to do is give me a pouch and have a pair of boots made for me to go into the bushes. Then you'll see that your share of the inheritance is not as bad as you believe. Although the cat's master did not place much stock in this assertion, he had seen the cat play such cunning tricks as catching rats and mice by hanging himself upside down by the heels, or lying in the flower as if he were dead, that he was willing to give the cat a chance to help him. As soon as the cat had what he had asked for, he boldly pulled on his boots, and after hanging the pouch around his neck, he took the strings in his forepaws and went to a warren, where there were a great number of rabbits. He put some bran and lettuce into his pouch, and, stretching himself out as if he were dead, he waited for some young rabbit, little versed in the wilds of the world, to come and hunt for something to eat in the pouch. He had hardly laid down when his expectations were met. A young scatterbrain of a rabbit entered the pouch, and Master Cat instantly pulled the strings, caught it, and killed it without mercy. Proud of his prey, he went to the king's palace and demanded an audience. He was ushered up to the royal apartment, and, upon entering, he made a low bow to the king and said, Sire, here's a rabbit from the warren of my lord, the Marquis de Carabas. 
such was the name he had dreamed up for his master, he has instructed me to present it to you on his behalf. Tell your master, replied the king, that I thank him, and that he's given me great pleasure. Another time the cat went and hid in a wheat field, keeping the mouth of the pouch open, as he always did, and when two partridges entered it, he pulled the strings and caught them both. Then he went directly to the king and presented them to him just as he had done with the rabbit from the warren. The king was equally pleased by the two partridges and gave the cat a small token for his efforts. During the next two or three months, the cat continued every now and then to carry presents of game from his master to the king. One day, when he knew the king was going to take a drive on the banks of the river with his daughter, the most beautiful princess in the world, he said to his master, If you follow my advice, your fortune will be made. Just go and bathe in the river that I'll point out to you and leave the rest to me. The Marquis de Carabas did as the cat had advised him, without knowing what good would come of it. While he was bathing, the king passed by, and the cat began to shout with all his might, Help! Help! Help, my lord! The Marquis de Carabas is drowning! At this cry, the king stuck his head out of the coach window, and, recognizing the cat who had often brought game to him, he ordered his guards to rush to the help of the Marquis de Carabas. While they were pulling the poor Marquis out of the river, the cat approached the royal coach and told the king that some robbers had come and carried off his master's clothes while he was bathing, even though he had shouted, Thieves! as loud as he could. But, in truth... The rascal had hidden his master's clothes himself under a large rock. The king immediately offered the officers of his wardrobe to go and fetch some of his finest suits for the Marquis de Carabas. The king embraced him a thousand times, and since the fine clothes given to the Marquis brought out his good looks, for he was handsome and well-built, the king's daughter found him much to her liking. And no sooner had the Marquis de Carabas cast two or three respectful and rather tender glances at her than she fell in love with him. Then the king invited him to get into the coach and to accompany them on their drive. Delighted to see that his scheme was succeeding, the cat ran on ahead and soon came upon some peasants who were mowing a field. Listen, my good people, he said, you who are mowing here. If you don't tell the king that the field you are mowing belongs to my lord, the Marquis de Carabas, you'll all be cut into tiny pieces like minced meat. Indeed, the king did not fail to ask the mowers whose field it was they were mowing. It belongs to our lord, the Marquis de Carabas, they said altogether, for the cat's threat had frightened them. You can see, rejoined the Marquis, it's a field that yields an abundant crop every year. Master Cat, who kept ahead of the party, came upon some reapers and said to them, Listen, my good people, you who are reaping, if you don't say all that this wheat belongs to my lord, the Marquis de Carabas, you'll all be cut into tiny pieces like minced meat. A moment later, the king passed by and wished to know who owned all the wheat fields that he saw there. Our lord, the Marquis de Carabas, responded the reapers and the king again rejoiced about this with the marquis. Running ahead of the coach, the cat uttered the same threat to all whom he encountered, and the king was astonished at the great wealth of the marquis de Carabas. At last, 
Master Cat arrived at a beautiful castle owned by an ogre, the richest ever known, for all the lands through which the king had driven belonged to the lord of this castle. The cat took care to inquire who the ogre was and what his powers were. Then he requested to speak with him, saying that he could not pass so near his castle without doing himself the honor of paying his respects to him. The ogre received him as civilly as an ogre can and asked him to sit down. I've been told, said the cat, that you possess the power of changing yourself into all sorts of animals. For instance, it has been said that you can transform yourself into a lion or an elephant. It's true, said the ogre brusquely, and to prove it, watch me become a lion. The cat was so frightened at seeing a lion standing before him that he immediately scampered up into the gutters of the roof, and not without difficulty and danger, for his boots were not made to walk on tiles. Upon noticing that the ogre shortly resumed his previous form, the cat descended and admitted that he had been terribly frightened. I've been told, said the cat, but I can't believe it, that you've got the power to assume the form of the smallest of animals. For instance, they say you can change yourself into a rat or mouse. I confess that it seems utterly impossible to me. Impossible, replied the ogre. Just watch. And immediately he changed himself into a mouse, which began to run about the floor. No sooner did the cat catch sight of it than he pounced on it and devoured it. In the meantime, the king saw the ogre's beautiful castle from the road and desired to enter it. The cat heard the noise of the coach rolling over the drawbridge and ran to meet it. "'Your Majesty,' he said to the king, "'welcome to the castle of my lord, the Marquis de Carabas.' "'What?' exclaimed the king. "'Does this castle also belong to you, Marquis?' Nothing could be finer than this courtyard and all of these buildings surrounding it. If you please, let us have a look at the inside of it. The Marquis gave his hand to the young princess, and they followed the king, who led the way upstairs. When they entered a grand hall, they found a magnificent banquet, which the ogre had ordered to be prepared for some friends who were to have visited him that very day. But they did not presume to enter when they found the king was there. The king was now just as much delighted by the accomplishments of the Marquis de Carabas as his daughter, who doted on him, and, realizing how wealthy he was, he said to him, after having drunk five or six cups of wine, The choice is entirely yours, Marquis, whether or not you want to become my son-in-law. After making several low bows, the Marquis accepted the honor the king had offered him, and on that very same day, he married the princess. In turn, the cat became a great lord and never again ran after mice, except for his amusement. Moral. Although the advantage may be great when one inherits a grand estate, passed on from father to son, young men often find their industry, combined with ingenuity, leads to a greater prosperity. Another moral. Though the miller's son did quickly gain the heart of a princess whose eyes he tamed, as he charmed her in a natural way, it's due to good manners, looks, and dress that inspired her deepest tenderness and always helped to win the day.
this story lacks in morals and virtuous heroes, it makes up for in hope. Hope that even the meekest may survive and thrive. Hope that seemingly ordinary events may lead to adventure and great things. Perrault ends his tales with poetic morals highlighting the main takeaways. Most of his moral resolutions to the tales make sense. The two that follow Puss, however, don't. The first states that work and ingenuity are better than inherited wealth. But the miller's youngest son did nothing that could be considered work. And Puss's ingenuity displays are far from virtuous. The second moral is about women only caring about the look of a man instead of his true nature. And for some women, that may be true, but not for the majority. I believe the best moral one can take from Puss in Boots is to always treat animals with respect, for, in many cases, they are far cleverer than we give them credit for. What do you think? Thanks for listening to my podcast. I created Telling Tales to really dive into one of my true loves of life, fairy tales. If you love them too, then please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can stay up to date by following me on Instagram, at Telling Tales. Have a magical day.